Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. I'm Tom Hayes, and this is Videocast Episode 96, Podcast Episode 86 for the week ending August 20th, 2021. Happy Friday. Want to kick it off with some media spots and then get right down to it. We've got an awful lot to cover this week. Uh, First, I'd like to thank Baker Machado and Allie Thompson over at Cheddar for having me on Tuesday morning to discuss retail earnings. We'll get into this during the article of the week, but thanks for having me on. I want to thank uh, Devik Jane for including me in his article on Tuesday, and he was talking about uncertainty in the market. Market's near, my quote was, the market is near all-time highs, so certainly due for a breather, but I wouldn't expect any material type of crashes or corrections. There's simply too much liquidity in the system, and there's still confidence that Delta is going to be a transient spike that will resolve itself in coming weeks. So we'll see how that works out. Um, and then this is the theme that we've used, the the stock market. This is Warren Buffett. The stock market is a device for transferring money from the impatient to the patient. So uh, let's get right down to with the ask me anything questions for the week. The first one is from Ben, first name only. Hey, Tom, what are your current thoughts on XLE, which is the energy ETF? Um, Let's start with the commodity. So, um, you know, obviously crude had this huge run from last year from, uh, you know, negative print in in April to uh, got up to like 70, almost $77 a barrel. back to its uh, 2018 highs, and it's backed off in the last few weeks. Um, That's been a function of Delta and uh, fears about uh, reduced travel, etc. The one thing I look at is I think this has got a little bit more to work out here. Um, As we had said some time ago, that probably the fall would be the time to revisit early fall. So in coming weeks, I think you'll get a better opportunity but I want to look for the commercials. They tend to get ahead of it. If you look when they're buyers, you want to be buyers. Here they're buyers. And then you get this rally. Here they're buyers. You get a rally. Here they're buyers a little early, but then you get a rally. Uh, they're not, you know, they're starting to become buyers. So I, I think, you know, maybe we see a high five handle. So that's the commodity. Does that mean you can't buy any stocks here? No. The other thing you got to keep your eye on is the U.S. dollar, which is going to impact commodity prices. And um, uh, that is still rallying. Now, um, same type of situation. When they're buyers, it's usually ahead of a big rally. So um, they're buyers. Right now, they're sellers, which is good, but they just started selling. So I, I don't expect necessarily an imminent peak. This could keep pushing higher. Uh, when you see the dollar get weak, that will kind of be your confirm that that um, uh, oil should should find some flooring. But I think we've got some days and weeks to go both on the uh, uh, crude weakening, weakening a little bit more and the dollar maybe strengthening before uh, taking a breather. So I don't love it here. That said, are there some stocks you could look at? Yeah, some of these refiners are trading back to uh, um, last year levels. You know, if you had to step in, maybe uh, a Phillips 66 or the highest quality uh, E&P companies like um, uh, EOG is is an option, Fang, Hess, and then um, energy transfer on the pipeline. So a little bit of upstream, downstream, and midstream there for you. So um, 
But, you know, other than the highest quality like EOG, maybe even Hess, I wouldn't be in a rush. I think you're going to get a better chance in coming weeks. But if you, if you were itching to put money to work, um, you know, I, th- those, are the, those are the only ones. XLE, I, I think you need a little more time. Let, let's see if we get uh, uh, commercial stepping in a little bit more buying so we can find a bottom in, in the commodity itself. And then you'll have many more opportunities, probably in the September range. Uh, okay, second Ask Me Anything question for this week was from Tim Good. Uh, not sure if this is how to ask. Okay, thank you for taking the time to provide weekly write-ups and the podcast. Thank you for also being the Ted Lasso of the Wall Street crowd. I don't know what Ted Lasso is, but uh, I've heard good things about it. So maybe I'll download it over the weekend and watch it. I think that's on Apple. Um, uh, it's refreshing how you... how. Uh, you're positive considering the pushback you've received in the past with names like Wells Fargo uh, and some of the energy names at Lowe's and still pounding the table. Uh, yeah, so we'll go into some of that. And now we're facing the same thing with the Chinese stocks and we'll we'll walk through that, um, uh, which is his question. My question for you is related to Chinese ADRs as a group. The critics argue that if you purchase these stocks, number one, you don't really own shares of the companies. And number two, these companies are not held accountable for accurate accounting and reporting like their U.S. peers. Curious if you could share your opinion on this premise and why it is such a popular theory among these groups of people. Uh, Thank you again for all you do. I never miss a Thursday morning article or Friday afternoon podcast. Um, Oh, and then he suggests uh, water polo for my girls, which is kind of interesting. They're great swimmers, uh, but we'll look into that. That might be a Cool idea. So thanks, Tim. Awesome question. And thanks for listening in every week. Uh, means a lot. Um, okay, so the first thing is you don't really own shares of the company. Uh, that is correct. So, But this is not news. So the problem with all of this is opinion follows trend. That's been a theme that we've discussed many times over since uh, we started the podcast 96 episodes ago. So uh, do the math. That's uh, almost two years ago now. And um, nothing has changed in that structure. The VIE structure was created two decades ago uh, to help skirt Chinese rules restricting foreign investment in a number of sensitive industries such as media and tele- uh, telecom and tech. Uh, in a VIE, a Chinese company sets up an offshore company for overseas listing purposes that allows foreign investors to buy in the stock. The offshore company enters into a series of contracts with the owner of the chi- local Chinese company, which operates the business in China, to obtain 100% of the economic interest in that business. Uh, that's from Jeffrey's, uh, exp- uh, Jeffrey's analysts uh, giving an explanation. The structure is designed for companies and industries where China will issue an operating license only to local Chinese companies, such as the Internet, education, data centers and media industry, the Jeffries analyst said. Uh, Why do Chinese companies use the uh, VIE structure to enable their listing on overseas stock exchange because direct foreign ownership in the shares of the Chinese company is restricted? and it enables foreign investors to invest in and hold shares in a company listed incorporated overseas and carries on and owns businesses that would otherwise be subject to foreign ownership restrictions in the relevant place of operation. So, you know, it's just something that the bankers thought of. Now, 
in effect, could the Chinese government shut it off in a minute and you lose 100% of your interest? Yeah, that was, you know, huge talk uh, since this is this started, I think, with, uh, I could be wrong, Sohu in, 20, in, in 2000 or NetEase. Um, and then it was a big talk in 2014 when Alibaba went public. And it's always a big talk when China stocks are down every few years, when the communists overreach and, and choke themselves. And then they realize, oh, my God, we're going to lose access to global capital markets. And then we're going to lose hundreds of thousands of jobs. And then they're like, what were we thinking? And, you know, they do it because they feel like they're losing their grip on control of the populace. And then they realize that the medicine was was worse than the pain, meaning they risk losing greater control by the actions that they've taken against their own uh, industry leaders. Uh, and then they repent and they relent and they come to their senses and uh, the stocks go back up again. But it's a painful process and it is every few years. And that's what we're in right now. Now, um, so to answer your question, is there risk? Absolutely, there's risk, but it's not new risk. The VIE has been around for two decades and everyone's understood those risks for all of that time. The second thing is um, your question on uh, they're not held accountable for accurate accounting and reporting like their U.S. peers. That's correct. I mean, with Chinese stocks, you have to always hold a basket because out of a handful, one is bound to be a fraud. It's just the way that they operate. However, uh, the uh, U.S. Congress passed a law in last year called the Holding Foreign Companies Accountable Act. Uh, it uh, builds upon the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, and it basically says um, that it requires these Okay, so that requires companies publicly listed on U.S. stock exchanges to declare they're not owned or controlled by any foreign government. And um, and also requires these companies to disclose to the SEC information on foreign jurisdictions that prevent the public counting, public company accounting oversight board from conducting inspections. Such companies will be banned from trading and delisted from exchanges if the PCAOB is not able to audit specified reports for three consecutive years. They passed an accelerated deadline. So it was three years. Now it's two years, which basically means that um, unless the PCAOB can inspect their auditors, uh, they must delist. And that was passed uh, in June and it, it accelerates it. So basically, by the end of next year, their auditors have to be able to be inspected. By and large, my reading into this is that if they have a big four auditor, like in the case of uh, Alibaba, they use PricewaterhouseCoopers in Hong Kong, uh, JD, uh, I don't know who they use, but... Um, Deloitte, JD uses Deloitte. So if they have a big four, I don't think it's going to be a major problem in terms of the PCAOB being able to uh, do any proper inspections, in which case they would be able to remain listed. So um, so those are the two issues. Uh, I think they'll be a good thing. Why were these put into place? You had that huge fraud with Luckin Coffee, which was going to be the next Starbucks, and um, it turned out that they were a fraud. So 
these are generally good things. Uh, the critics, uh, they're, they're not new. Uh, every three or so years, you get a massive crackdown from the Chinese government, and then you get uh, all the Western investors flipping out over the VIE structure and uh, over their uh, lack of accounting standards because a few of them wind up being fraud. So it's like excess uh, it gets flushed out and then it builds back up. So, you know, maybe this time's different, but I wouldn't count on it. I think this is go- going to get worked out. Um, and as a matter of fact, this morning, uh, the Chinese stocks really started rallying huge on this headline out of Bloomberg that said China's CSRC is working to establish circumstances for audit cooperation with the U.S., uh, this builds upon a few weeks ago that when uh, the Chinese stocks really crashed hard, they said that they would work with uh, U.S. regulators uh, about the uh, their companies listing on U.S. exchanges. So, look, I mean, unless they're on a suicide mission, they don't want to cut off themselves from the most robust capital markets in the world. Uh, and either they'll find that out the hard way after, you know, Alibaba and Tencent and JD lay off a few hundred thousand people and they get protests in the street and potentially another Tiananmen Square, uh, or they'll read a history book and say, that's not what we want to do. We do want to regulate and take out some of the excesses and fraud that we're seeing from our, our tech leaders, but we don't want to um, blow out uh, the capital markets because it's not going to stop with a few tech companies. It'll close off the capital markets for all their debt issuance uh, and they'll become isolated from the world and they'll basically become uh, a combination between North Korea and um, uh, Japan in the uh, early 90s when their economy just completely rolled off over due to demographics, which is another headwind that China faces. So really all that they have to stake their future on is these tech giants that can seriously and legitimately compete with uh, the Amazons and the Netflixes and the um, uh, Microsofts in a different sense, uh, the cloud players um, uh, as they stand. But if they, you know, if if we were trying to bring China down, the number one thing that we would do is figure out a way to uh, limit their access to our capital markets, if not stop it altogether and uh, regulate their big tech companies. And they're doing that on their own. So I think they're realizing that uh, the actions that they've taken are not in their interest. And that's why you're seeing headlines like this. My guess is, uh, number one, you had option expiration. So they showed some weakness towards the end of the day. Uh, But number two, I'm going to guess that you have a number of funds blowing up from the magnitude of these um, corrections that were just far too aggressively positioned uh, with, you know, 20% or 30% or 40% of their portfolios, or in some case, if they were emerging market funds or Asia. So they're probably liquidating a bunch of funds today, and we'll probably see that to the end of the month. Um, but um, but this, this, is, this is a sign of a uh, constructive thing. You are still seeing on the day, though, a number of them bounced, and they were mainly the non-tech ones. So, um, uh, you had like Momo, Wy- Weibo is a tech one, uh, so that's that. Um, Didi, you know, up 3%, but it was up, you know, 8% this morning. Tencent Music even bounced a little bit. Uh, Billaby bounced a little bit. Uh, XPEV, which is an automaker. Huya, so all these that have been bounced out. These are hugely oversold. 
Uh, I'd be surprised if there are any sellers left. As a matter of fact, um, let's see. So the volume, the last two days in Alibaba, just to give you an idea, uh, the average daily volume is about 17.9 million shares. The last two days, it's been over 65 million. So, uh, you know, this is... Um, uh, this is, you know, this is real capitulation. Uh, whether this is the exact bottom or not, I can't say for sure. But, you know, you have the kind of uneasy feeling that you have when Wells Fargo was in the low 20s and uh, and uh, Exxon was in the 30s. And, you know, it's like, am I the only one that sees that this might turn around? And then, you know, you, you reluctantly top up a little bit more and uh and then sure enough the the sun the sun will come out to tomorrow but uh so that that's where it is um glad we switched from stock to options a couple of weeks ago when we said on the podcast uh and that enabled us to to uh you know um add a little bit each red day uh to to just you know bring down our basis and and we'll see but the the other thing that I would say is that when these things turn, as painful as it is uh, uh, going down, when they finally do turn, they turn aggressively and abruptly. And, and the analogy that we used in last week's article, the Yogi Berra um, deja vu all over again, or the future isn't as bright as it used to be article, uh, we compared it to the 2018 uh, collapse when they were having the crackdown on online gamers and all of the Chinese stocks sold off in sympathy. And you saw Alibaba fall from 211 to 129. Uh, when it finally inflected, um, you know, took out this low and then it finally inflected, uh, it rallied, you know, meaningfully in literally under two months, it remade like 70% of the move down. So it fell. 80 points, and then it rallied 65 and change in a couple of months. So what that would work out to, and I did a little rough numbers a couple of days ago, just comparing these and not, you know, look, this stuff never repeats, but just to give you an idea, because these patterns tend to, you know, human nature never changes, okay? The, the tickers change, the reasons change, but this was the 2018 crash, so you had this Huge stair step down, huge stair step down. It almost looks like the exact same chart. And then you finally got this last bottom in here, this last type of thing. We flushed below here a little bit, but there's like, there's no liquidity in August. And like I said, when these turn, it'll make back up these gaps, you know, in days, not weeks. Um, and then the rally, you know, as it rebounded in two months, made back the majority of the move. So the equivalent on this chart, if it follows that pattern over the next, you know, two to four months, would get us back up to this level here where you had the resistance, uh, you know, somewhere between 265 and 275, uh, which, which seems completely impossible right now based on the amount of pessimism and bad news in the stock. But when these things turn, like you, we're going to cover Wells Fargo and the oil stocks that we were on last year, when they turn, they turn overnight. And, and it's just like the, the disbelief on the way up is just unbelievable. So is this going to happen? We don't know. But, um, 
you know, the way that I look at it, the way we're positioned, if I'm wrong and it's a goose egg, we lose one unit. If I'm right, we make 6x. And that's the type of asymmetry that I love. And, um, you know, uh, if it's a goose egg, we can still manage a great year end uh, with our other positions, which we're going to talk about a lot of different positions uh, today. But if it works, it can be career making, uh, you know, along the lines of, of um, uh, some of the other uh, scenarios where people were absolutely pessimistic and then it turned and they still didn't believe it after it was up 100 percent. So uh, those are the kind of things we look at. And, you know, nothing's really changed here. This pattern holds, whether we're down here or up here, uh, it, it doesn't really matter. But it does look like we're, we're closer to this, like, uh, discouragement situation here. You know, you got this bounce up and then a rollover. And now maybe we'll get that rally up to this resistance level which would be up here, just like we got in 2018, and it can happen very quickly. So, uh, and then after we get up there, we'll probably roll back over before we go back and make new highs and get this thing back to intrinsic value. The other thing is that we covered last week was about sell the rumor by the news. So the rumor has been the crackdown and the VIE and the, the uh, Holding Foreign Companies Accountable Act and the China crackdown. Uh, but there wasn't a way to quantify the risk. We're getting more quantification. So today, China tech star, uh, stocks slump as nation issues draft competition rules. So they laid out specifically what the rules are, of the road are going to be. The net effect of all this is basically what's going to happen is compliance costs are going to become so expensive. It's going to push out the small players in the market and give bigger monopolies to the JDs, Alibaba, and Tencent of the world because no one's going to be able to compete with them because they won't be able to handle the compliance costs. So this is why every time Zuckerberg, uh, Zuckerberg goes to Congress, he says, regulators, regulators. Why? Because he wants to crush all the small startups. Uh, and that's exactly what's going to happen in China. And it, they're going to become behemoths. And, um, you know, one day, we don't know which day, but... Uh, you know, Alibaba will be a $600, $700, $800 stock. Uh, it, that, that will be many years out, but they're just going to grow bigger and bigger and bigger because there's going to be less and less and less competition. Uh, next, uh, China passes major data protection laws. Regulatory scrutiny on tech sector intensifies. This is great news, actually, uh, because um, while this was packaged as really bad news, um, this was today and that, that stocks were down pre-open and then you got the thing about the IPOs and they rallied and then they rolled over this afternoon. I think the rollover this afternoon was just funds liquidating. Uh, it had that feel to it. Um, okay, but here's the net effect. This was from Alexa Lee, Senior Manager of Policy at the Information Technology Industry Council, a Washington-based trade association of high-tech companies. If companies are compliant with Europe's GDPR, which is already in effect, they're going to be fine complying with the Chinese privacy law. So basically, China is just trying to follow the global changes in the privacy policy that Europe has already implemented, um, which certainly impairs some of their earnings power moving forward, but knocking out the small players who can't afford to comply increases their earning power. So it's it's a it's a half a step back and two steps forward type of situation. 
But the fact that it's in line with what already exists at, in different regions of the world tells me that, you know, it's it's not the greatest thing. You know, it might impair short-term profitability because they have to get all the compliance in place, but ultimately it gives them a wider moat. And that is the name of the game for monopolies. So um, um, that was the key line in this Wall Street Journal article by Eva Zhao. China passes one of the world's strictest data privacy laws. So one of the worlds, but it's in line with what's happening around the world. And it's just part of the process of becoming big. Um, okay, what else? A uh, number of other things I wanted to just cover on this. Um, okay, so we got that. Okay, this is the uh, parabola chart that I put out last week on Alibaba. As you can see here, there's no question this is an overshoot uh, like we had in uh, uh, during the pandemic. This is where all the institutional volume is. You know, they're, they're defending it. It broke a little below, but, you know, this is really light volume in the middle of August. Um, uh, not light volume. The volume is uh, three times average daily volume. I'm talking about liquidity. Uh, so look, it's out on the skinny branches. You don't want to see it break a whole lot lower than this because, uh, then, you know, there's just an air pocket. Um, but my, you know, my sense is this gets defended and, and we live another day. And if not, it's not the end of the world. Um, you know, on to the next, but, uh, you know, this thing, you know, the, the problem, here's the deal. I mean, this company has doubled revenues per share, doubled earnings per share, and, and doubled cash flow per share since the last time it traded at these levels in 2018. Um, now it's, it's lower than that. And obviously the market is saying, well, it's going to impair its short-term ability to generate cash with the compliance costs, with the changes in policy, etc., uh, but that's short term. If you look out two, three years, and maybe some analysts will start to come out, but you know, very few analysts are going to stick their neck out because opinion follows trends. So now they have to, they all have to be pessimistic because everyone's pessimistic. And then after you get that, uh, you know, if we get it, but after you get that reflex rebound uh, back up to this resistance, and it happens overnight, then you'll start to get those reports out. That it's going to be okay, and then we'll 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 check back down before eventually going going on to make new highs. Um, so um, so you know while this is uncomfortable, it's 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 a perfect it's perfect because it takes everyone out and it takes all the sellers out. I mean you know I I, I mean maybe there'll be more sellers next week if they're more more bad news, but. What you want to look for is the day that Alibaba starts going up on bad news. So the Chinese government comes out next week and says, not only do we have a draft drop document, here's the full document, and it's worse than anyone could have ever imagined, and, it, and the stock winds up 3% on the day. And that's when it's over. Uh, and that is what we're looking for, which we haven't gotten yet, and we may not get. But that's what, what we're looking for is when it starts to move up on bad news, it's similar to like Boeing. Like I don't think Boeing's had a good headline in three years and it's just slowly climbing the wall of worry. It's like bad news headline, up 1%. Bad news headline, you know, the wings are falling off the 787, up up a 2%. You know, uh, the 7, 737 Max, uh, you know, is made out of styrofoam, up 3%. You know, it's, it's just bananas. So, 
hopefully we'll get to that point on this. It's an unbelievable franchise. And, um, you know, the, the key is timing, right? It's, it's, it's impatient to patient. Uh, the, the stock market's a device for transferring money from the impatient to the patient. But, you know, you don't want these things to go on forever because at some point you can't, it gets so impaired it can't repair. You can't get that quick, aggressive rebound because there's, there's just far too much damage. And we're right on the edge of that. We're on the skinny branches. But, uh, you know, my, my sense is we are going to get uh, a really abrupt short covering. I think we're running out of sellers just based on the volume the last couple of days. And, and we'll see how it goes. And we're in good company. Look, uh, the 13, uh, the filings for um, last quarter are out. You know, you've got Ken Fish, you got all the billionaire value guys are in the stock. You know, uh, uh, Charlie Munger, we, we've mentioned he's got 17.5% um, of his portfolio in uh, Alibaba at the Daily Journal. You got Ray Dalio, and he was out saying, you know, you don't want to ignore Chinese stocks. You've got Al Gore, uh, he's got a huge firm, and you've got. Uh, Jeremy Grantham, Bill Miller, classic value guy, Steve Cohen, sharehold, all shareholders uh, during the second quarter. And then you've got um, a couple other value guys like uh, Guy Spire has 5%. Uh, and then uh, Monish Pabrai, who's really good friends with Munger. He's a big Buffett acolyte. He had 21% of his, he owns 3% in uh, three stocks in his whole portfolio. And um, he's very concentrated and uh, he increased his Baba holdings by 53%. He's got a solid long-term track record, about 20% a year um, over a couple decades. And uh, so this is a new huge position for him that came on his books right after Munger did it. And Munger did it right after Li Lu did it, who's the best China manager. So, um, you know, we'll see. It, it could all be wrong, but uh, my sense is that, you know, these, this is the company you generally want to be in when you're taking these outlier trades. Uh, okay, next is... Uh, what else do we have? Okay, we already covered that. The other thing that... This is an interesting article in the Institutional Investor. Goldman is back on top of the shareholder list for troubled Chinese stock formerly known as GSX, which is one of the education stocks. My guess is they're just going to get flushed in this, but the fact that they added shares in Q2, this is Goldman Sachs buying one of these beat-down education companies in their 13F. They were buying after this crackdown. Um, you know... Interesting. I mean, Goldman's rarely on the wrong side with their own money. So um, interesting to see that. But um, uh, that's, you know, a little bit, little bit higher risk. Uh, okay, then you got some of the big franchises coming out saying like, hey, this stuff happens every few years. You don't want to miss the Chinese growth opportunity. They're too big to ignore. So HSBC's chairman uh, came out and said that at the Hong Kong Academy of Finance last week. Um, bah, 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 bah. He says, we're moving to a new status quo in Sino-U.S. relations. Uh, the interconnectivity is pretty powerful, and I don't think it will get to a point where sides will need to be chosen. 
the other thing is BlackRock came out, uh, the biggest asset management firm in the world. Uh, this was uh, two days ago. BlackRock calls for investors to lift allocations to China's market. Asset managers research division says second largest market is no longer an emerging nation. Uh, and recommended investors boost their exposure to the country by as much as three times. Uh, so that may start to impact some of uh, how they're investing for institutions. And um, uh, so let's see, there's this lady, Wee Lee, the chief investment strategies at, at BlackRock. She said, uh, do, 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 for ch uh Two to three times. Okay. Uh, the starting point is too low. The direction of travel for China to be represented in global benchmarks is clear. Uh, high intentions and spheres of near term. You have to go to China. Bah, bah, bah. Uh, yeah, I think of this journey as one step forward, a half a step back. And it's not about eliminating risks. It's about you're being rewarded for the risks. We believe we're being compensated at these levels. So, you know, same type of thing, but it's nice to see the big firms come out because then the institutional money has to start to listen. And after some of these smaller funds are blown out uh, this week and maybe next week, um, the bigger institutions will step in and, and be net buyers. Um, Okay, exclusive. This came out today on Reuters. China is pushing US, U.S. IPO bound firms to hand over data control. So this is a way um, where the Chinese regulators want to have data rich companies hand over the management and supervision of their data to third party firms if they want U.S. stock listings as part of Beijing's uh, scrutiny. And this will probably enable them to have some type of um, common ground where the Chinese government doesn't have the data, but a third party does, and it meets the U.S. requirements in China. So I, I, I think they're getting there. I think they're starting to figure it out. Um, moving along, CVS Walgreens looked to, for a sales bump from COVID-19 boosters now with the foot traffic. You know, this was our, we went on Fox Business on uh, January 4th. It was one of our top four picks for the year and uh, rallied abruptly from there. It's taking a breather. I think we're going to get another leg up higher. So we continue to like Walgreens. Boeing, this was an article by Al Root, who's a good kind of value writer for Barron's. Um, he said, Boeing stock can gain 35%, how it can win the future by fixing a problem now. You can read that on Barron's. Uh, we agree. We think Boeing works its way back up to the you know 300s and change over the next six to six to 12 months. We like it. We own it. We think it pushes higher. And we think this short-term pullback is a great opportunity here. Again, this opinion, not advice. Click on hedgefundtips.com. Click on terms. Uh, consult your financial advisor first. Uh, Intel CEO calls chip maker a willing buyer as semiconductor industry consolidates. The bigger are going to get bigger. And, um, you know, that speaks to uh, their attempted acquisition of global foundries. They're going to be consolidating. We continue to like Intel. I think Dan Loeb increased his position by... 1300% or something last quarter for in his most recent filing for Intel. So um, so we like that. Another article out for healthcare stocks analysts, analysts love. Um, we like these two. I'm not sure about Zimmer Bio. I haven't 
I don't, I'm not familiar with Zimmer, but these two insurers, Cigna for sure, we added two. We think that's going to work its way up to new highs uh, by the end of the year. So we love it here. And it did come back and give you a second bite this week, which we talked about last week. Now it's uh, starting to bid. Uh, maybe maybe you'll get another chance, but uh, I think as this market settles out, this is going to work its way to new highs. Uh, Centene is the exact same story, and Vertex is a beaten down biotech we think could rally too. Um, okay, uh, this is one of the few things that I'm... Uh, well, let, let Okay, so Guggenheim's Minard says the Delta variant has derailed the speed of the economic recovery and will prompt the Fed to delay tapering plans. I agree with that. Um, there was this consensus view after the Fed minutes that the Fed was going to start tapering uh, before the end of the year. Uh, I read every word of the Fed minutes, and that was not clear based on what was written and the notes that were there. It was a takeaway because in June, when everything looked great before Delta, um, there was a number of people that you know, were leaning towards that could happen. But you know, again, Powell's driving the bus. And now with Delta, they have cover, and then we get Lambda, Omega, you, you name the fraternity, we're going to get another variant, and that's just going to kick the can down the road. So um, I agree with Minard on this point. And um, AstraZeneca seeked approval of landmark antibody drug preventing COVID symptoms today. So that is good news. Ultimately, I think if we could get an antiviral, like a Tamiflu, if you get it, you take it, then then the whole thing's going to be over. No one's going to worry about it anymore. But uh, we're not there yet. Right now, they're on, you know, pushing the vaccines hard. And then when they've kind of hit saturation on that, that's probably when we'll see some antivirals that work and uh, and it'll be over. Uh, put call ratio got extremely elevated uh, yesterday. If you look at the times, it's been over 1.0. It tends to be a buy, not sell. And that's why our article was the tap, tap, tap stock market. Uh, it's been tapping on the 50-day moving average. It doesn't mean it can't break through. just means with fear down at 23 on this fear and greed index, uh, odds, odds favor starting to uh, get exposure versus selling exposure. Uh, update on Splunk. It continues to work higher. Uh, you know, if you remember, they it puked on earnings. We added in here. Uh, and uh, and now it started to work its way higher. And as you can see, like it like will like we expect the case will be with some of these Chinese stocks is when they rally. It's it's literally like a month or two, and they make back. You know, this was a thirty percent rally in three weeks, um, and I think this is going to push push a bit higher here before the end of the year, maybe up to the one sixty five one seventy five range. Uh, overall, Mark, this is a bullish percent by sector. Communication services have come down quite a bit. There's some opportunities. We picked up a little Amazon. We like that uh, this week. Uh, no one, no one seems to like it now. So uh, wanted to get a little exposure there. We already have Netflix from lower levels. Um, what else? Um, consumer discretionary. So you can see a lot of these energy is getting beat up. So you know, I think. Um, Ben first name only's question is 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 really getting close to the right timing, but I think it's got a little more work and a little more pain uh, with the exception of some of those highest qualities that you can just buy and don't worry about and hold for the next few years uh, might get might see a little better opportunity in coming weeks, but you can just see on a basis by basis they, they're not all you know up here just because you see the indices near all-time highs doesn't mean all these groups and all these stocks are, are at, um, you know, overbought. It just means that the handful of heavyweights are pushing the indices higher. Materials uh, 
you know, uh, some opportunity there. Um, NYSE, these are kind of the industrials, nine tech names, and what else? Uh, Staples, trying to push its way higher again. And transports. So we added a little bit of cruise, a little bit of airline in the last couple of weeks. I think that there are going to be more opportunities there. Uh, I think that makes sense right now, given the sentiment, no one wants them. That's the time to pick them up. And uh, utilities working their way back higher, making that second leg. We covered that last week. Some of the uh, overall market indicators, this is the 10-day put call. Again, elevated levels, it tends to be a pays to be a buyer, not a seller. Uh, and more of these than not are near levels you want to buy versus sell. Same thing here. Same thing here. But again, these sometimes take a little time. So maybe we get another leg lower before we bottom out. But again, not expecting huge things, as I said to Devic in the Reuters article. Uh, not expecting enormous pain in the short term. I think that comes when the taper actually gets implemented. We get a big wash amount, 10 15% sometime early next year. PMO buy all. This is at zero. This is generally where you want to be a buyer. You know, sometimes it'll base for a little, little bit, a little bit more pain. We'll see. But, you know, if you like things like a Boeing, like a Cigna right now, high quality blue chip companies, um, you know, I, I, I think those start to make sense now. Uh, even maybe a Disney. Um, okay, what else do we have here? Uh... Yeah, uh, NASDAQ McClellan Oscillator getting closer to a buy point versus a sell point. Um, summation ratio, same thing. So you can just see on balance, as much as people are saying it's a bubble, you see here on a indicator by indicator, under the surface, there have been crashes in stocks. There's so many stocks that are down 30%, it's unreal uh, that you can get exposure to. Uh, this was the Bank of America Global Fund Manager Survey. And covered sentiment, as you can see, sentiment's rolling over. Economic expectations have fallen drastically since March. Oh, no, that's bad news. Or is it? No, nope, it's not. That happens after the, you know, December 2009, after you had the huge rally off the March lows. Uh, it rolled over, but it was the beginning of the uh, bull market, not the end. Same thing in February 2002, uh, beginning of the bull market. Same thing here. And expectations rolling over. Um the sentiment, as you remember, everyone was saying a few weeks ago in Jackson Hole they were going to announce tapering. I was saying, no, I think that's going to get pushed off to September and November. The announcement, the implementation 2022. Now people are backing that up and saying September, not, not August. So I think the same thing's going to happen with the taper. Everyone's saying end of the year. I think, again, it's going to be after February. Um, unless for, you know, unless Powell knows for certain he's out, then why not, <laughs> you know, why not crank it up in December and tank the market before you leave? But, um, I don't think that's his nature. I think he's earnestly committed to getting as many people as employed as humanly possible, um, and, and taking the inflation in the short term. The other thing that was interesting is short China stocks became one of the crowded trades this month, which tells me we're getting close to the end on that. Uh, biggest fear is inflation and taper tantrums, and um, and those were the big takeaways from the survey this month. The tap, tap, tap stock market and sentiment results. This was our article of the week. Uh, since the beginning of the year, we've continued to have shallow pullbacks, leading to the S&P 500 to tap the 50-day moving average multiple times, as seen above. We called this in the beginning of the year. We said we saw a handful of 
uh, modest 3% pullback corrections. We didn't see any um, huge ones like a 2013 or 2017. So far, that's held true. We came down. Um, let me just see if I can uh, show you what happened because the next day we got close to that 50-day moving average. Let's see. Uh, and it looks like we bounced off, but I don't even know how to put this on. Moving. I don't know where it is. All right, so I'll just do an exponential. Well, anyway, you get the point. Let me just show you what it looks like. So the 50-day moving average is basically, you know, right in here. It got close and bounced off. We'll see if that holds or if it goes back down and touches it and then takes off. But um, so far, it's holding that tap, tap, tap trend. And on Wednesday, we saw some weakness in the general indices following the release of the Fed minutes. Will this be another reason to, uh, to tap the 50-day moving average? We did the next day, give or take. Uh, Time will tell, but the minutes were more of an excuse for the weakness than the reason. If you read the text carefully, there were so few changes that they probably spent more time debating what was for lunch than when to start the taper. Here are the key points. So basically, you can read through these. Um, they're saying it's made substantial progress. Eh, they need it to make substantial progress. It's only made progress. Uh, they've shown improvement, but not fully recovered. Everything I read here was hawkish, other than that one area where where some members felt that it would uh, they could start towards the end of the year. But that wasn't Powell, number one. And number two, a lot's changed since June, uh, namely the Delta variant and businesses now delaying their reopenings till January. And that gives them cover to delay it. Uh, on Tuesday, I was on Cheddar with Baker Machado and uh, to discuss... Uh, earnings for Home Depot and Walmart, which reported, you know, t 10 minutes before I went on. And in anticipation of that segment, I pulled together the following spreadsheet to put into context the current price of those stocks relative to the earnings power as of Monday night. And the key takeaway, which I mentioned at the end of the segment, was a lot of the good news was already priced into the group. So if you look, you know, many of these sold off initially after the earnings, um, and, you know, they'll, they'll work their way higher over time. But um, if you look at where they are off the lows and then where they are in terms of earnings power pre-pandemic to this year, so leave out 2020, um, in the case of Walmart, 2019 earnings to 2021 earnings are up 22%. The stock's up 24% from its 2000 pre-pandemic highs. Uh, it's trading at a 24 times multiple compared to its 26 times. So of this group, I think Walmart was the most reasonably valued and probably has some upside. Um, uh, Home Depot uh, didn't give guidance. The market didn't like that. It sold off and uh, now it seems to be making, but it's been consolidating the gains. And I think a lot of these have had a tremendous amount of good news priced in, but it's valuable to take a look at the exercise and see the earnings power relative to the multiple, relative to the price, relative to the targets, I think you'll get a lot of value going through that table. Um, we went through the fund manager survey. Now, this is very interesting. On uh, the global fund manager survey, 
One key takeaway was the short China stocks, which has now become a crowded trade. Now, while these numbers may change, I wanted to take a look at how analysts are thinking about the earnings power, the ability to generate cash, the intrinsic value of these businesses of the top 28 holdings of the popular K-Web, which is the China Internet uh, ETF, which is the target of all the controversy right now, versus 60 days ago before the worst of the crackdown began. And here are the results. So we went through uh, company by company, and we went through uh, current year estimates, 2021 and 2022 estimates uh, of every single company. And then we went through consensus uh, price targets 12 months out uh, and the implied upside. Now, the vast majority, these stocks have fallen so much, many of them 30, 40, and 50%, that their now implied consensus upside target uh, 12 months out, in many cases is you know between 80 and 95% for, I would say, 90% of these stocks. Now, will the earnings come down in coming weeks? Perhaps. Uh, but what's interesting is, is over the 60-day period, um, the er- 2021 earnings power of these 28 stocks was revised down by 3.69%. So the intrinsic value of these business as it stands has been uh, de- deleteriously impacted by 3.6%. 2022 estimates are only down 3.04%. But what's happened to the price in the last 60 days of this ETF, uh, the top 30 weights? It's down 40%, okay? So the intrinsic value, the ability to generate cash is down 3%. The, intrinsic, the, the price is down 40%. And these are the type of dislocations that um, you know, I've made my career on. So uh, I like this setup. Now, is this time different because the Chinese government is acting crazy and we have these strange relationships. It could be, you know, is it the end of the VIE structure and you could get uh, delistings from companies that can't uh, meet the PCAOB requirements? Yeah, all that could happen, but it could have happened at any point in time for the last 20 years because nothing's changed. Uh, and the Chinese government does this every three years when they feel like they're losing power and people, you know, the natives are getting restless. Uh, they go crazy on uh, the big companies and it's always happened you know, could this time be different? It could absolutely be different. Is it likely? We're taking a calculated bet, uh, asymmetric, lose one, gain six, uh, that no, history tends to rhyme and that sooner or later, all the sellers are going to be flushed out and these things are going to have rip your face off rallies uh, and we're off to the races. And then when everyone gets excited, they'll roll back over before going on to make new highs. So um, but this is interesting. And not only are they down 40% since, um, you know, the earnings are down 3%, they're down uh, about 60% since February. And this is 30 stocks. This isn't just one stock that rolled over. So at some point, they blink. I mean, this kind of bloodshed, you know, I don't know if it's when they come to the conclusion themselves or it's the first time that Tencent announces that they're laying off 20,000 people and the Chinese government has to figure out how to pay for all their stuff uh, while they're laid off and uh, people stop having kids because they say the future is going to be terrible. Our kids are not going to be born into a free free enterprise uh, environment where they can earn a good living. They're going to be born into, you know, factory work uh, and we're not interested in subjecting them to that. So that's the direction they're going. Where they stop is anyone's guess, but my guess is it's before they destroy themselves. But but again, they're they're out on the skinny branches. Um, 
Okay, but but I love these type of divergences where price is down 30%, earnings are down 3 Because even if earnings go down 15 you still get a rip-your-face-off rally. And, uh, and that's the kind of asymmetry that uh, we've always looked for in the business. Now, the bottoming process is never easy. And, and in this case, as it relates to Alibaba, if it was easy, everyone would buy quality when it's on sale and do exceptionally well over time. But most people don't. They chase what's up and then they get their heads cut off. Uh, now... It wasn't easy to buy Wells Fargo, banks, and oil stocks last year when everyone was puking them out even faster than Chinese stocks this year. Trust me on that. Uh, but we did, and you can see our article here. And here's a clip that I was on CNBC on July 16th, 2020. You can see the disbelief from the host when I was talking bullish on banks at this time. It's just hysterical. Definitely worth watching because like, you could just see them like, this guy likes banks. And this is exactly where we, are, where we were right here. And sure, we had the overshoot, right? So this was the interview. We had the overshoot and then boom, it just ripped. Uh, same thing with energy stocks right before the election. Boom. And, you know, um, you know, this is the same time you get all the technical analysts, don't buy a downtrend, don't buy a downtrend. That's where all your, you think Warren Buffett avoids downtrends? That's, I mean, that's how he's made all his money. Uh, and um, so, so basically, um, you, you know, you buy you buy when there's blood in the streets is what it comes down to. And there's always a reason that looks like it's the end of times for them. Right here, it was DeFi is going to take over the world. How could you ever own a bank? They're done. They're toast. And, you know, look, if DeFi takes over the world, it's going to take five years anyway. And sure enough, boom, we're off to the races. Oil, no one's ever going to use oil. Oh, wait a second. Everything is plastic, number one. Number two, uh, now you've got our, the new administration who cut off the pipeline, Restricted drilling now on their hands and knees to Saudi Arabia saying, please, please pump more oil. We're getting inflation when we have unlimited resources that we've choked off on our own. So, you know, these things, they run in extremes and uh, it's like a pendulum and it tends to tends to bounce back. And uh, so it wasn't easy to buy banks uh, when no one wanted them. It wasn't easy to buy energy when no one wanted them. It wasn't easy to buy the stock market. Uh, in the middle of the pandemic crash in late March 2020, when everyone was dumping, but we did uh, the article from March 19th, and then Market Watch picked it up. The bottom was the next day, and so what's our hedge here? I mean, our hedge is in the sizing, how we're structured now with the options, so we've captured our downside and uh, an asymmetry of uh, you know tails we lose one, heads we win six. We'll take that flip every day of the week. And um, when you buy the highest quality companies, when they're on sale, deep discount, they have a tendency to re revert back to intrinsic value as measured by their ability to generate cash over time. This is one of the reasons you'll never see us buying many stocks with more promises than earnings. The reason we don't buy companies that are, you know, uh, promising future earnings but don't have any is because there's no way to identify a potential bottom with a company that doesn't generate cash. And look, you saw it with Amazon in 2000. The stock dropped 90% from somewhere between 2000 to 2002, even while its revenue and intrinsic business value was growing. But you can't put a bottom on it because it doesn't, until it generates cash, there's no way to value, to discount. I mean, you can guess on what the future is, but... Um, I like steady eddies that are out of favor, that I, that I know what the cash flow has been for the last 10 years. I have some sense that I can extrapolate with reasonable, you know, 
accuracy, uh, boring businesses that just grow at a steady rate. And, you know, the, the uh, uh, intrinsic value is probably the same, but the stock or the industry is out of favor and the stock's down 30 to 40%, but the cash flow keeps growing. Of course, I'm going to do that, do that all day long. And those are the ones that are predictable. And that's the way we like to do it here. So that's not to say it's, there's nothing wrong with people who can, you know, guess the future and buy companies at 20 times sales that works for some people. And it's worked well over the last decade because you've been in a low rate environment when that strategy does well. It's the only decade, by the way, in the last hundred years where that strategy's worked. Historically, buying anything over 10 times uh, sales has been a money loser for decades and decades and decades. But we've never had an environment where rates have been so low for so long. And you could you can make a case that that's going to continue because of the amount of debt that we have. I would bet that um, rates are probably going to move up steadily over time, not a, not like overnight or aggressively or in a in a manner that the market can't handle it. But um, I think in that environment, uh, different groups are going to work a little bit better. But we'll see how it goes. I mean, you've got the millennial demographic that speaks to. Uh, aggressive spending and demand for capital, which favors rates rising. And then you have the technology story, which says technology and innovation is so aggressive that it's going to swamp the the spending and uh, the too much money chasing too few goods and all of the liquidity in the system because um, it's going to displace so many workers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and there's something to that as well. So we'll see how it plays out, but it's probably something in the middle. Uh, but either way, you can never go wrong buying high quality franchises. And uh, we ended with this Buffett quote, great investment opportunities come around when excellent companies are surrounded by unusual circumstances that cause the stock to be misappraised. And uh, in the case of Alibaba, half a trillion dollar company, that'll probably be a trillion to $2 trillion company 10 years out. Uh, we think it's misappraised here. So uh, you could say, but the rules are going to change and that's the risk you take. And that's, that's you know, you got to do your sizing. And that's that's rule one at the first hedge fund I, I worked at. You have to take aggressive bets when you feel like you have an edge, but not to the magnitude where they carry you out on a stretcher. And um, so you get right up to that level of comfort, discomfort level and you take a swing. And if you're wrong, you live another day and you've got the rest of the portfolio to make it up. And if you're right, uh, it's a quantum leap in in a career, in a portfolio, and everything else. So um, that's how we think about the asymmetry. Um, and then this was the last week's article about uh, kind of laying out the comparisons to 2018, sell the rumor, buy the news. And I think we're getting closer to the news with the specificity of the... Um, uh, crackdown and the rules going forward. And the more specificity we have, the more the market can quantify it and look through it. And then you started to see a bunch of unusual activity in China stocks today. Baba and Baidu, you know, a couple thousand contracts in Baba, 4,000 in Baidu. Uh, some more Baba, yes, a couple days ago, 5,000 contracts. So, you know, there's some smart money stepping in. These are big institutional buys. This is not your grandma buying 4,900 contracts. Um, and then finally, the economic data, we'll just touch on some of this retail sales were a little light. So, you know, they, they're getting enough cover here, continuing jobless claims, missed expectations. 
they'll get enough cover to delay taper in my view. Um, but with that said, I want to thank everyone for listening in. Have a great uh, summer weekend, and we'll see you back next week, same time, same place. Make it a great one.